morning. Let me welcome you to worship here at Pittman Park United Methodist Church. We're so glad that you are present, those that are gathered here in the sanctuary, and those of us who are gathered also in the fellowship hall for modern worship, and those that are gathering with us online to be a part of worship today. Um, I'm Bill Bagwell, and I'm the uh, pastor in charge of this service particularly. Jonathan Smith is also a pastor here on staff. Um, who preaches in the sanctuary occasionally, and as we share together in this, all of us are ministers, or we're called to be ministers of the gospel, and the sharing of the story is left to us. As we uh, share together this morning, I hope that your hearts will be inclined to realize that Christ is present in this place. He has said wherever we're gathered in his name, that he would be present as well. Isn't that a thought that makes you smile? It does me. The idea that Christ is near and here with us. Um, let me especially welcome those that are guests in our midst. So we're glad that you are present and hope that you will uh, let us know. It would be a, a great assistance for you to take the connection card and remove that at the perforation and then fill it out. Uh, there are two baskets, the uh, offering baskets that are at the exits um, of the sanctuary. Uh, you can place this in that location, in either location, at the end of our service, and that would help us to keep you uh, connected with what's going on. We'll put you on our newsletter mailing list, and you can find out some other ways in which uh, the church is at work all through the week. Uh, this Wednesday, uh, we will gather once again midweek for small group meetings, especially with the children um, and the youth, the students. Um, they will be meeting after our open table meal. Uh, remember, the open table meal is a meal that, that we gather for at 5.30, and it is open to you and anyone that you would bring with you. There's no charge at the door at all, uh, not even a basket for a love offering. Um, if you want to give to help support that ministry, do it at another time besides Wednesday night. We don't allow it on Wednesday night. We will not take your donations for Open Table on Wednesday night. But this is a special time of gathering around the table just to share Christ and love with each other and the fellowship of the church. And so plan to be there. And if you'd like to come a few minutes early at 5 o'clock over in the chapel, which is adjacent to the sanctuary, uh, we have a short communion service, and we'd love for you to be a part of that as well. Uh, we do want to remember that the children and youth uh, are directed by some uh, very innovative uh, thinkers. Um, the students this evening, uh, Becca uh, has told me that they will be uh, sharing together in what is sort of a family feud event. Um, if, if you are a youth, you will not want to miss this, um, but they will be playing uh, Pittman Park Feud, and so uh, uh, come to find out what that's about. And I have no doubt she will, she, will, uh, she will guide that around to some kind of significant conversation about faith and Jesus. And so pray for her and the work that she does and Megan Hopkins as well with our children's ministry. Um, six years ago, uh, I had a precious saint to uh, come to me who is a visionary thinker when it comes to mission work. Um, her name is Mickey Martin. 
And Mickey has this heart that is so blessed by God to see others who are in need. And she said, I've got an idea. And I said, share with me what your idea is, Mickey. And she said, how about if we put together a care bag that we would call Amazing Grace and that we would distribute these bags to persons that are in need. And I was thinking persons that come by the church who are in need. And she said, no, that's not it. We don't see all the people that are in need. And so these would be distributed all over town. And that especially we would make sure that, that our policemen and our firemen in town have these at hand so that when they see a special need, they would put this bag in the hand of the one who is so in need. And so six years of distributing these bags that are called Amazing Grace, they're actually printed with the insignia on them now. Uh, what a beautiful ministry. And Mickey has... Uh, invited others to become a part of that ministry. There are several that if you look in your bulletin, you'll see that Charlotte and Karen and Becky and, and others are involved in this ministry, making it happen. And if you would like to be involved, speak with one of them and say, this is incredible. In fact, I don't know of any other church that is doing this in any other community in exactly this way. If you would like to be a part of this, get in contact with one of them and say, help me to know what I can do, and they'll give you a job. As we begin this uh, time together, I know that you have seen me the last couple of weeks uh, wearing a mask in worship. Uh, it is, of course, uh, protocol to keep each other safe. We have never never made it a mandate to wear a mask or social distance or use hand sanitizer at Pittman Park. Uh, but you all have seen the need over the past year and a half and have been so compliant with the, this as being a part of what we want to do in order to care for those who are most vulnerable. If you've been watching the news, you realize that we are in a situation where there is a great spike in cases of COVID. Let's not politicize this. I don't intend to. Let's just care for each other as much as we're able. I think God requires this of us. I'm not saying that you have to wear a mask, but think about it at least. And for this period of time, Maybe it's the thing to do. Let us hide in this place.
Good morning. Good morning. We are delighted to have you worshiping with us this morning at Pittman Park United Methodist Church, located right across the road from the Statesboro campus of Georgia Southern University. Please bow with me for our opening prayer. Gracious and merciful God, forgive us for our past faults and help us in the present and the future to make ourselves more available to the hurting world that surrounds us. The world that begins at our very doorsteps. Equip us to be patient and compassionate listeners, proclaiming your gospel not in overbearing ways, but sensitively and lovingly. Strengthen us with the Holy Spirit to be fruitful and active witnesses of Jesus in all we do and say. Amen. Good morning. Would you stand as you're able, and we are going to sing Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, hymn number 400, all three verses.
stand as you are able and let's unite in this historic creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered by Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and ascended the right hand. Please bow with me for our morning prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have promised to be with us every day, even in difficult days, even in times like these days of the resurgence of the pandemic. Father, keep running with us in, these, in our stressful lives. Blessed are you, O Lord our God. You alone do wondrous things. Blessed be your glorious name forever. May your glory fill the whole earth. Father, be with the men and women of our armed forces who maintain their unending vigilance and put their lives on the line to keep peace across the globe. Father, be with those about the globe who are in harm's way, those in the paths of hurricanes. Tornadoes and tropical storms, and especially those on the Gulf Coast whose homes and families are in the path of Hurricane Ida. Great and glorious God, your words and deeds are filled with mercy and justice. In every act, you bless us with goodness. You call us to honor you, but we so often only do so with our lips. Father, we ask that you give your wisdom and guide the leaders of our city, state, and nation as they work to stem the tide of the spread of COVID, to bind up our nation's wounds, to help those unemployed find jobs, to be with those who go to bed hungry. Father, we ask that you help us stay strong in our faith, help others to see Jesus in our lives. Help us to follow, follow Jesus and offer Jesus' love to those less fortunate. And let us play, pray the play, prayer that Jesus taught us, our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory.
It's impossible for us to know all that the church is doing at any given moment, but I wanted to inform you of a couple of things that are important for you to know, and that is in regard to Hurricane Ida, you can bet that the UMCR, the U United Methodist Committee on Relief, UMCOR, is there already in place and caring for people that are in need. They are one of the quickest responding nonprofit agencies ever that there was created. Um, it is something that we should not only be proud of, we should also seek to support. Now, this is one of the incredibly good things about the UMCOR. Uh, with all other nonprofits, there is an overhead to running the nonprofit, right? With the UMCOR, there is zero overhead. If you check what their administrative costs are for doing the work of the UMCOR, you will see on church records that there is zero cost because anything that you contribute to the UMCOR has already had the administrative costs covered by the connectional structure of the United Methodist Church. This blessed thing that supports that agency and allows every penny that we contribute to go to those that are in need. Uh, there are hurricanes every year. How could there be a, a, a fund for every hurricane? There isn't. But there is a hurricane disaster relief fund within the UMCOR if you would like to contribute to that, knowing that there will be damage and that there will be people in need, uh, please go to umc.org and find out more about how you could help. Any gift that is made to Pittman Park United Methodist Church that is marked for the UMCOR hurricane relief, you can bet that every penny that you contribute will go for that very purpose. And so keep that in mind. Another thing I wanted to mention to you, if you've been watching the news from Afghanistan over the past couple of weeks, hasn't it been so tragic? It uh, just, just tears your heart out to see all that's going on there and also to think about the significance of these past 20 years and what's going on on our television sets and on our radios right now, the things that we're hearing. Uh, one of the things that this country will be sensitive to is the need to accept those, um, those that are without home in their own country to come and to be repatriated here in these United States, this melting pot of a country that will be receiving Afghan refugees, in fact, has already begun receiving Afghan refugees and will continue to do that. You should know that the United Methodist Committee on Relief is working in connection with the World Church Service, a larger organization, in order to do the work of helping these refugees to find a place of care if you're interested in that, also go to umc.org and read about it because it's an amazing thing. It also raises for me a question. Is it 
something that we should consider as churches here in Statesboro trying to help one of these families, maybe more, find a home in our midst. Pray on that. That's a big ask. A big ask. But is there someone here with the heart of a missional visionary that might see a way to make that happen? We are so fortunate, aren't we? As you think about your life, can you see anything but gratitude to God for what he's done to allow us to be where we are? Aren't you grateful? Let's lift up our praise to God in thanksgiving. Would you stand with me? Children's Wing down Main Street Hallway. Come here and uh, Mr. Bob will meet you and take you uh, down to the Main Street Hallway. I think you've got one more, Bob. I think Junior's coming. I think Bob has left. <laughs> Dan, step out there and stop Bob for just a second. Junior, are you coming? There you come. Good. Or Nathan, rather. I said junior. I meant Nathan. Nathan, come on down. There you go. There you go. Brings to mind the lost sheep. <laughs> Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter verses 14 through 21. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. 
Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God, for which we say, Thank you. Although Paul didn't really reference it in his letters to the early church, It is clear that his experience on the road to Damascus turned his world upside down. You remember Saul of Tarsus, who was Paul. Uh, Paul is his name in Latin. Saul is his name in Hebrew. And as Saul of Tarsus had been deputized by the religious authorities in Jerusalem, those religious elite, to rein in control on these followers of Christ who were multiplying in response to this man Jesus' death and who knows what else. Saul of Tarsus was brought on to bring them back to Jerusalem and to put them on religious trial. Now there's a dark story, one of the darkest stories in all of the Bible is that story of how Saul was tending the coats of those who were stoning the first church martyr, Stephen, And as he was lifting up his spirit as Christ did, and as he was breathing his last, that young deputized Pharisee was standing there making sure that no one messed with the coats of those that were carrying out the duty of doing the stoning. Oh, he would have said if he had ever been questioned, that he was an innocent bystander, that he didn't throw a stone. How many people do you know that you've heard about that were far, far more non-innocent bystanders than they were innocent bystanders? By doing nothing, a world of evil 
can occur. But I will say on Saul's behalf, or I should change his name to Paul at this point in the story, on his behalf, on his behalf, I have a feeling that something was working deep. I'm talking about deep within his spirit. He was feeling in his gut, even though he would not have been able to acknowledge it in his brain. Could you not be changed by seeing a man as holy as Stephen stoned to death and doing nothing about it? Can't you imagine that something deep was brewing even at that moment in Saul, or should I say Paul's, heart? It was later traveling on the road to that little community of Damascus that something struck Paul down. He fell, and it was this thing that he could not control any longer. God blinding him with light, his ears hearing his name being pronounced as if it's coming from heaven. Saul! Saul, why are you persecuting me, the voice said. And Saul, should I say Paul, responding and saying, Who are you, Lord? As if he didn't know. As if he didn't know. Come on! When Ananias heard that Saul, should I say Paul, was in the community of Damascus and that he was blind and that God was asking Ananias, this early Christian, to go and visit this little demon of a fella. Ananias questioned the logic behind that, as you and I would have. But he was compliant and went to where Paul was and began to share with Paul what was coming down. He said to Paul, the Lord Jesus has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Powerful words. And it was at that moment that Paul's life was completely converted. He did a 180 degree turn. No longer in pursuit of the Christians, he became a follower of Jesus himself. This passage of Scripture is so profound. Did you pick up on Paul's use of these comprehensive pronouns? Us and we, he refers to. But you see, 
he is transferring his personal experience to this greater whole of not only who the early church was, but who we are as well because we are overhearers of his gospel. Or Jesus' gospel, he would say, tapping me on the shoulder. Jesus' good news is what this is all about. And here in these words, the Apostle Paul says, because we, but he really is saying, because I. And rather than saying, because we are, he is saying, because I am convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. These words are foundational. But I'll add, they are foundational, but they have also become cliche. Because who hasn't heard this? You know, are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that he died for you? Those words may have been new once. But let me tell you that as far as the world is concerned, much of that epitomizes a church that does, that does not understand the questions itself. The Jerusalem Bible has it this way. The Jerusalem Bible is a French translation of the original language which has since been translated to English. And this is their translation of these verses. And, and this is because the love of Christ overwhelms us when we reflect that if one man has died for all, then all men should be dead. Isn't that an interesting translation? When we reflect that if one man has died for all, then all men should be dead. Do you remember that Jesus had a family that lived in a little community called Bethany that he dearly loved? It was two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary and Martha were not always on the same side of the fence. You remember on one of the first occasions that Jesus was visiting with them, Mary was at Jesus' feet soaking in all she could. And Martha, what? She comes from out of the kitchen saying, can't you say something? My sister's not helping at all here, you know? And can you imagine this very pregnant pause as Jesus chooses his words so carefully and said, Martha, Martha, you're worrying about too much here. Mary's made the greater choice, as she had. But there was a time when Mary and Martha were on the same side of the fence. Do you remember that part of the scripture? Do you remember that as Jesus was at a distance from Bethany, doing the traveling around that he would normally do, 
that word had come to him that Lazarus was sick unto death. He was at the point of death. Jesus did not race back to Lazarus's side. And when he did finally make his way back, Lazarus was dead. Word reached Jesus that Lazarus was dead. In fact, Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead before anybody else did, of course. And as he showed up in Bethany, Mary came to him and said, If you had only, if you had only been here. Guess what Martha said when he got closer? Martha said, if, if you had only, if you had only been here. They were on the same side of the fence. You know what they were doing? They were pointing the finger at Jesus. And they were saying, if you had only been here, things would have been different. And of course, Jesus' response to this is things are already different. If you believe, Martha says, I know in the final day he will be resurrected. Jesus says, we're talking a little sooner than that. And when Jesus asks to go to the tomb in which he is buried and calls forth, this dear friend of his, he speaks Lazarus's name, and Lazarus stumbles off the cooling table and makes his way to where his friend Jesus is standing just outside of that dark space. And those who were witnessing this were astounded, as you and I would be. And word began to spread of what Jesus had done in raising Lazarus from the dead. In fact, it became dangerous very quickly because Jesus, who was already on some people's hit list, Jesus, who was already making his way toward Golgotha, even though the disciples didn't even seem to know that. Guess who else was put on the hit list? And you can check me on this, it's in the scripture. But Lazarus, they had also intended to kill Lazarus. Now this is interesting. <laughs> this is very interesting because, let me tell you two things about Lazarus that I, I believe and that is that once Lazarus was raised from the dead you couldn't wipe the smile off his face <laughs> you couldn't do it everywhere he went his world had been transformed and the second thing is that I understand he would get up every morning and put on the same t-shirt which had across the front of it, you can't kill me, I'm already dead, dot, 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 in Christ. <laughs> he was transformed. His life had been turned around. He had seen the glory. He had been made whole. 
like no one could imagine. Is there anybody else that you can think of that might have had that kind of experience? Tap, tap, tap on my shoulder right now. <laughs> because Paul is saying, that's me. That's me. <laughs> Lazarus is me. Even more so, Paul would say, Lazarus is you. I heard of a monk who was dealing with a situation in his country of this invading force years and years ago. This soldier came in on his fierce stallion, sword in hand, and the monk was standing beside the road when he came into town to slay everybody that he could. And the man on the stallion saw the monk standing there, and he shook his head and said, Don't you know who I am? I am one who can run you through with my sword. And the monk stood and looked at him and said, Don't you know who I am? I am one who can allow you to run me through with your sword. Jesus changes everything. Eugene Peterson, in the message, wrote these words as his paraphrase of the gospel telling. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. So Paul goes on to say, Therefore we, or as it were, therefore I, as Paul would have been thinking, therefore we, or I, regard no one from a human point of view. Because you cannot see the world the same way once you've really seen Jesus and once you've become a part of that. We are a new creation, a new creation. And so I ask the question, what is God doing? And I suggest that perhaps the answer is he's transforming the world in Christ. <laughs> there is this stained glass word that the church loves to use, especially pastors, and that word is justification. We make it oh so complicated in people's minds. But really justification is about God claiming us. 
through Christ's life, through Christ's death, through Christ's resurrection. No recompense on our part. Nothing that we need to do in order to make that happen because Jesus has done it all. See, this is what Paul knew. Jesus has done it all. Have you ever sung a song like that? He did it all. Yeah. Jesus has done it all. In fact, the best we can do is believe that this has happened. And if you believe, that changes everything. I love Paul's words over in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this. You were dead through the trespasses of, and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ by grace, not by anything that you and I could do, by grace, you have been saved. Paul's phraseology is incredible. <laughs> In verse 18, he says, All this is from God who reconciled us, or as it were, in Paul's mind, who reconciled me. All this is from God who reconciled us slash me to himself through Christ. And so what does this look like? Well, you know the story of Paul. You know that he was imprisoned on his missionary journeys. He was shipwrecked on his missionary journeys. When he finally did get to Rome, even though it's not included the story here in the Bible, it is by church tradition that we know and believe that Paul was martyred in Rome. He was killed because of his preaching Christ. But for us, what does it mean? I read a story recently by Kirk Wareham, and I don't know who Kirk is. He's connected with the Bruderhof community in some way in uh, upstate New York and he was remembering that when he was young that his father told him that when his father was young in the 1930s he lived in a little town up near to where they were and he grew up there in a uh, setting that was pretty typical of any sort of Mayberry-ish kind of town um, it was 
the case that their house was only a block and a half away from the school that he attended. Can you sort of imagine that? Just walking down the road a short distance to go to school. He said that in this little town, in this community, there were two families that were very, very poor. And for lack of food and whatever else, and, and in their situation particularly, lack of love and the way to put that into practice, the boys that grew up in these two families, the Gates and the Butler boys, everybody in town knew them, they were rough. They were fighters. They were fighters. And, and Kirk said that his father said that those boys were in his class at school. And that those boys were bullies big time. And Kirk went on to say that his father told him that it happened that on one occasion, finally, that these boys just for play, they decided to really let him have it after school. For whatever reason, he was walking home and they jumped him. They left him with scratches and bruises, a black eye, a swollen lip, and he drags his little fourth grade body home after this beating and tries to tell his father, his father, Kirk's grandfather, what has happened. Well, the father did what any father would do. The father went to speak to the parents of the boys in order to put this thing in right place <laughs> and thought that he had taken care of the situation. So he came back and told his son, I've talked to the parents. I do not believe that this is anything that would ever happen again. So Kirk's daddy, this fourth grader, goes to school the next day, but his father has told the brother, the older brother by two years, to accompany your brother, Kirk's father, home after school to walk together with him. So guess what happens? Here come the Gates and Butler boys. And they jump the two of them, leaving his brother in worse condition than he had been the day before. So when finally they get home, the father begins to think, this isn't working out so very well. But he sends them with directions. He says, tomorrow when school is let out, run home. <laughs> because he knew that they were very fast runners. And so, so that's what they did. They took off running right as the school bell sounded and they did get a jump on those boys who were not suspecting this to happen but those boys were smart enough to realize that if they started throwing rocks that they might be able to have a chance yet to lay into them and it did distract them enough to where those boys caught up and beat them once again well, how long was this going to go on? But they went back to school the next day. 
And they decided between the two of them that they weren't going to run anymore. That they would just lay into the boys and that this surely would catch them off guard and solve the situation. And so those two boys mounted up themselves against this army of bullies. And of course you know that it didn't end well for them. And when they got home, they shared with their dad what had happened. And their dad was disappointed in them um, and the whole situation. But the reason he was disappointed was because he, was, he and his family were a part of one of the most well-known peace churches in that community. And to think of his boys actually punching it out in the streets of that little Mayberry town was more than he could bear. He said to them, he said, you're not going to solve it that way. And a couple of weeks went by and it happened to be Kirk's daddy's birthday and, and Kirk's daddy had a sit-down conversation with his father who told him for your birthday, I want to invite the Gates and Butler boys to come over. And I want you to ask them at school tomorrow to come to your birthday party. Nobody else from the school is invited. And lo and behold, when those boys heard the invitation, they accepted it and showed up. And Kirk's daddy had all the ice cream they could ever want, which they were famished for this kind of food, particularly. And ate ice cream and birthday cake until they could have no more. And then Kirk's daddy was told by his daddy, tell the boys that I've got more that they can take home to their family. The next day in school, the boys, the Gates and Butler boys, they began to act a little different. And lo and behold, when Kirk's daddy came home after school, there was no sign of them on the way. In fact, from that day on, it had changed everything in terms of their relationship. And in fact, another strange thing happened. And that was that Kirk's daddy's daddy remembered that the next time summer rolled around that he should extend an invitation to those boys to come play in the baseball league that they had going on. And they took him up on that suggestion. And it turned out that those guys were really outstanding baseball players. Which then changed it for the community because they were favorites in the community then. Everybody wanted them on their team. Now, that is... A fascinating little story, and you're probably saying to yourself, where is that going? Well, it's done now. 
But I want you to think about this. Because in verse 19, Paul says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Did you get that? And entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. We are ambassadors. We are reconcilers. What does that look like? You tell me. There are a thousand Things that you and I can do to be reconcilers in this world. Some people have it only in their mind to be divisive. But Jesus calls us to be reconcilers. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what does that mean? least it be cliche as well we are to become the ones like Christ Jesus's instruction takes on new meaning you remember he said pick up your cross daily and follow me and we think of that as just being a burden a burden no 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 Jesus was meaning far more than that just as we point to the cross and we say Jesus died for us to save us from our sin. You see what Jesus is doing, don't you? And Paul is making the same connection. You and I are called in order to die for others' sins. Some will say, that's sacrilege. It's only Christians that can do this in this way. That what Jesus did would be replicated in our witness as well. And so this is an appeal for us to bear the strain of others, which I'm sure that some of you are already doing. But first I want to tell you, if you haven't received Christ, you don't have a hope in the world. None of us do. If you haven't received Christ, do it now. Do it now. The one who is the great reconciler has called us not only to be reconciled, but to be his ambassadors of reconciliation. As more and more people began to hear the words, Christ was without sin, but for our sake God made him share our sin in order that we in union with him might share the righteousness of God.
Would you stand as you're able and join me in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 6 of Amazing Grace, number 378. Father, giver of such grace and mercy that it transforms all life here on this earth, be in our hearts and carry us forward with your message of reconciliation in order that others too might know good news and might share in the opportunity as well to be ambassadors of yours. Bless us, Lord, we pray this day to be a blessing in Christ's name. Amen. 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 